This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Age of Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And time for another episode of This Month in Texas History with a look at August. August, which is American Adventures Month, National Black Business Month, National Catfish Month, National Dippin' Dots Month, and it's also National Goat Cheese Month. On August 6th, you can celebrate National Root Beer Float Day, which is followed up on the 7th by International Beer Day. So Enjoy both types of beer if you want on those two days. August 15th is National Honeybee Day. Trail Mix Day is on the August 31st. And a few birthdays that came around in August. Um, Patrick Swayze was born August 18th, 1952 in Houston. Steve Martin was born August 14th, 1945 in Waco. The late, great Dimebag Daryl of Pantera fame was born in Arlington area on August 20th, 1966. And the late, great Billy Joe Shaver was born August 31st, 1931. Some of the important events that happened in August around the world was on August 1st, 1838, slavery was abolished in Jamaica. On August 3rd, 1492, a little set of boats set out from Spain with three ships, Nina Pinta and Santa Maria, under the leadership of Christopher Columbus. August 6th, is the date of the first atomic bomb being dropped over the center of Hiroshima by the American B-29 bomber Enola Gay. And August 17th, one more birthday, August 17th, 1786, was the day that David Crockett was born in Hawkins County, Tennessee. Yes, the David Crockett of Alamo fame. Okay, so now let's dive into August events in Texas history and see how well we can tell the story or part of the story of Texas by tying together different Augusts throughout the centuries. Let's start with a little aside. One of my favorite things to do in San Antonio is visit the missions. Of course, you can visit Mission San Antonio de Valero in the heart of the city itself, known to most as the Alamo. Don't forget the Alamo. 
but also remember the other four missions that were built along a 7.7-mile stretch of the San Antonio River Basin. As the World Heritage Center explains on its website, Mission Valero, the Alamo, Mission Espada, and Mission Concepcion have been designated as National Historic Landmarks. Mission San Jose is a National Historic Site, and the other components are on the National Register of Historic Places. At the federal level, Mission San Jose is also designated as a Texas State Historical Site, and all five missions are Texas State Antiquities Landmarks, as well as on a local level, City of San Antonio local landmarks. Sadly, not much of Mission San Antonio de Valero remains, aside from the iconic chapel and the long barracks, where some of the bloodiest fighting and dying occurred during the 1836 battle. I learned recently from a book, a recent book that has been released called Forget the Alamo, that if it wasn't for the relentless efforts of some dedicated people, even the long barracks would have been destroyed and that property had been used for other purposes. Standing at the Alamo site, surrounded by all the noise and size of urban growth around it, it can be hard to visualize what it must have been like. Luckily, there are some good maps you can print out and take with you. And I have a little video that I'm going to try to make a link to YouTube for that a gentleman from a company called Panther City Air helped me with, where I have a map of what San Antonio looked like in 1836, and then it transitions into like a street map of today, and then transitions into a satellite aerial picture of current San Antonio also, which is really neat. Hopefully I'll be able to make that available to you. But if you want a better understanding of what it might have been like at that mission, now surrounded by all those huge buildings, you can take a short drive to see some wonderfully preserved mission structures. Remember, though, whether you are religious or not, please be respectful because many of them are still active parishes. So starting in San Antonio at the Alamo, Mission San Antonio de Valero, which was founded in 1718, you can go south to Mission Nuestra Señora de la Purisma Concepción de Acuña. That's a mouthful. Which was founded originally in East Texas in 1711, but was later moved to San Antonio in 1731. After you visit that beautiful site, you can go south again to Mission San Jose y San Miguel de Guayo, which was founded in 1720. Then you can visit Mission San Juan Capistrano, founded on the east side of the river in 1731, and Mission San Francisco de la Espada, nearby on the west side. Mission Espada was originally started near modern Weechies in 1690, but it was relocated and renamed in 1731 at this site. You can easily visit them all in a day and still have time for many other fun things in the San Antonio area. They all have a lot of beautiful architecture and structures, including walls that have some nice educational signs and maps to explain the significance and purpose of the various buildings and structures. My wife and I spent a day doing this earlier in the year and we loved it and we can't wait to go back again. And I'm sure some of you have a question at this point. Oh, that's all wonderful. Thanks for the travel suggestions. But what does this have to do with August in the history of Texas? Well, thank you for being patient with me. There is a point, and here it is. August 
is the month for both the birth and death of one of Texas's most famous Franciscan missionaries, Father Antonio Margil de Jesus, who, among many other works, also founded Mission San Jose y San Miguel de Aguayo in 1720 near what is now modern-day San Antonio. Now, the current site is not exactly where Father Margil started the mission. It moved a couple of times over the years. But Mission San Jose is important because it is considered to be the most successful of all the Texas missions. And you'll hear it referred to sometimes as the Queen of Missions. It lasted over 140 years and baptized over 2,000 individual Texas indigenous people. The current buildings, mostly constructed in the 1760s after Margill's death, are beautiful, especially the dome church that features exquisite piece of art that's known as La Ventana de Rosa, the rose window that was constructed about 1775 on its south face and a grand main entrance featuring elaborate sculptures depicting religious figures and scenes on its west. So yes, a lot of things were going on in what we call Texas at the same time just before that the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776 on the East Coast by a bunch of upset Englishmen. Now, Father Margill was born August 18, 1657 on the east coast of Spain in Valencia. It said that he was a humble man and that even as a boy, he referred to himself as nothingness itself and continued the practice even as an adult. He became a Franciscan when he was about 16 years old, received the Holy Orders habit at the age of 25, and then traveled to do missionary work in Nueva España, New Spain, arriving in Veracruz in 1683. Mariel spent several years as a missionary in Yucatan, Costa Rica, and Guatemala before returning to Mexico and founding the Missionary College of Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe de Zacatecas in 1707. If you remember, last month we learned about the Frenchman Saint Denis and the expedition of Domingo Ramon in 1716 that set up the missions in East Texas. Father Margill was supposed to have been involved, but illness kept the 59-year-old from participating. But missionaries from the college he founded were involved. He recovered in time to supervise the 1717 founding of Nuestra Señora de los Dolores de los Ais near modern San Agustin, Texas, and San Miguel the Lanares de los Adias mission near the site of present-day Robilene, Louisiana. The site of the Los Adias mission is very interesting because from 1729 to 1717, Los Adias served as the official capital of the Spanish province of Tejas on the northeastern frontier of New Spain. Yes, the capital of Texas was once located in what is now Louisiana. Father Margill, in his early 60s, then founded Mission San Jose in February of 1720. The mission began under Margill with 240 of the area's original indigenous people, mostly Coaticans, assigned 
to the, be the primary labor force. They did the construction, irrigation, farming, and ranch work. They built a compound stone friary, convento, granary, a gristmill, and workshops for carpentry, blacksmithing, and weaving. Another important part of the mission and the others is their role in the creation of the foundation for cattle and other livestock raising and what eventually became the basis for Texas's ranching industry. Mission San Jose had two livestock ranches, Rancho de Atascosa and Rancho de San Lucas. About 25 miles away from where the mission itself was. And mission Indians, as they've been called, oversaw the raising of the livestock. Father Margill was recalled to Mexico in 1722 and again served as guardian of Franciscan Missionary College that he had founded in Zacatecas. He returned to active missionary work in Mexico three years later. And just before his 69th birthday, he died in Mexico City on August 6th, 1729. We will be learning about more of his work, along with that of other missionaries, along with the reactions of the indigenous nations in future Texas history lessons when we focus on Nueva España and Tejas. Okay, now I think it's a good time to take a small break to say a thank you to Age of Radio, as always, for hosting Texas history lessons. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A couple of years after Father Mark Hill de Jesus died, and 11 years after he founded Mission San Jose in Bear, San Antonio, what probably was the first election in Texas history was held on August 1st, 1731. Now, several years before, Marquis de San Miguel de Guayo had suggested that New Spain bring settlers from either the Canary Islands, Galicia, or Havana to populate the province of Texas. The plan was approved and notice was given to the Canary Islanders to furnish 200 families. Now this was a slow process, but by June 1730, 10 families had finally arrived in Veracruz. Juan Lel Garaz led the group on the long trek overland to the Presidio of San Antonio de Bear. That would be a drive of over 850 miles for us today. 
they arrived on March 9, 1731, with the party increased by marriages on the way to 15 families. Four unmarried men, in addition to the 15 families, brought the number of people from the Canary Islands to 56 persons. Captain Juan Antonio Perez de Almazan, who was commander of the San Antonio de Bear Presidio, welcomed them by laying out a place for their homes and overseeing the establishment of a municipal government. The immigrants from the Canary Islands formed the nucleus of the Via of San Fernando de Bear. This was the first regularly organized civil government in Texas, and on August 1st, 1731, the new city council met to elect alcaldes, making August 1st, 1731, what is probably that we know the very first election in Texas history. Now, the man that had led them on their trek from Veracruz, Juan Leal Garaz, he was elected as first alcalde or mayor. And this was the beginning of some very interesting events that over the years saw the small settlement eventually to grow into what we now know as San Antonio, Texas. And this place, as a lot of you already know, would be an extremely important site for much of the significant events that would happen over the years. And we're going to jump ahead 82 years later. 82 years later, after the Canary Islanders had this election, Joaquin Arredondo, Commandant General of the Provincias Internas, sat in San Antonio on September the 13th, 1813, and composed a report on the bloodiest battle in the history of Texas, known as the Battle of Medina. It was fought on August 18th, 1813 about 20 miles south of San Antonio de Bear, in a sandy oak forest region then called El Encinal de Medina, near the Medina River. And the sad fact is, so much effort was put into wiping out the rebellion that was happening at that time, we do not know exactly where the battle occurred. There's some ideas about the area. Luckily, next year in 2022, some veterans are going to be joining with some historians and archaeologists and trying to narrow down and actually find and pinpoint exactly where this very important battle happened. The general, Arredondo, had been born in Barcelona, Spain, and now in his mid-40s was quite proud of himself and he fills the report that he's writing with almost hyperbolic praise for his army and singles out many for bravery on that day of August 18th, 1813, including a 19-year-old named Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Redondo's force had lost only 55 dead, with about 178 wounded, out of a force of combined infantry and cavalry numbering 1,830. In the report he wrote, Most excellent sir, the ever-victorious and invincible arms of our sovereign, aided by the powerful hand of the God of War, have gained the most complete and decisive victory over the base and perfidious rabble commanded by 
certain vile assassins ridiculously styled as general and commanders. While it almost seems like exaggeration in parts of the report, it might not be because the opening pretty much summed up the event. The vile assassin styled as a general was a Havana, Cuba born gentleman in his mid 30s by the name of Jose Alvarez de Toledo y Dubois, who had been funded by the United States Secretary of State James Monroe to instigate revolution in Cuba. He already had had some problems in Cuba, and so faced with the threat of arrest by Spanish officials there, he turned his attention to Texas. Now, remember back in March, I shared the story of the Battle of Rosillo Creek, also known as the Battle of Salado, that had occurred on March 29, 1813, on a prairie about nine miles southeast of San Antonio. These events are all tied into the Mexican struggle for independence that began with the acts of Father Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla in Dolores, Mexico, in 1810. Hidalgo had sent Gutierrez as an agent to the United States, and Gutierrez had returned with the Republican Army of the North, initially a fairly small group of just over a 100 Americans, mostly, that grew as Tejanos, United States citizens, and indigenous peoples like the Lipan Apaches that had bolstered the force and grew to over a thousand members. It was the leaders of the Republican Army of the North in March, Jose Bernardo Gutierrez de Lara and Samuel Kemper, who had been victorious on that day and who had captured San Antonio and declared the Republic of Texas. Toledo, along with a United States government agent named William Shaler, had helped prepare Gutierrez for his campaign out of the United States to wage a war of insurrection against a beleaguered Spain that was facing rebellion throughout its empire, including Mexico. After the March battle, Gutierrez captured San Antonio and captured Governor Manuel Marias de Salcedo and his military staff. And then on April 3rd, Gutierrez had permitted the execution of Salcedo and a number of other royalist officers. This upset many, including a lot of the Americans. A lot of Americans started to leave. They were not happy with Gutierrez and his actions. So there was a power struggle after this, and Toledo stepped in to replace him as commander of the Republican Army of the North. Now, Redondo had marched north to end the insurrection, and end it he did. And one of the key officers that Redondo depended on was a man named Ignacio Elizondo. Elizondo, who some people call the Benedict Arnold of Mexico, had at one point pretended to support the rebellion, then turned and captured Hidalgo and other independence leaders as he was fleeing towards Bear, towards San Antonio, to found a area of safety to continue the rebellion from Tejas. He, fortunately, was executed in 1811. At the Battle of Medina, Arredondo's forces of 1,830 soldiers devastated Toledo's Republican Army of the North. Toledo led his 1,400-man army to face the Royalists, and on August 18, 1813, they fell into a trap that led to a battle that lasted about four hours. Only about a hundred of the rebels survived. Toledo fled. Arredondo buried his 55 dead the next day, and the corpses of the insurgents 
were left unburied for nine years. For nine years, their bones lay there, and we still don't know today exactly where that site was. Arredondo then led a brutal and bloody campaign to rid Texas of any more troublemakers. We're going to get into the details in the Spanish lessons later on, but let's just say that it was extremely violent. Arredondo wanted to send a message to anyone else that might cause trouble. Many people died. More people died in Texas during this time period than during the Texas Revolution of 1835 and 1836. This was a very, very significant time in the history of Texas. Others fled from Texas. So what happened was, while the people of New Spain had been trying to increase the population of Texas to act as a buffer zone against the Comanches and others, Arredondo's bloodletting throughout the province led to a depopulation which led to the same Joaquin Arredondo on January 17, 1821, approving the petition of a certain gentleman named of Moses Austin, who wanted to settle Anglo-American colonists in Texas, which, as we all know, led to more problems. On August 24th of 1821, the year that Arredondo had agreed to Moses Austin's petition, Augustine Day Uterbide met with Juan O'Donohue and signed a treaty that ended the Mexican War of Independence that, as I said, had been launched by Father Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla on September 16, 1810, 11 years. But we will get to learn a lot more about Father Hidalgo next month. Uterbide, as we learned last month, had been a royalist officer like Arredondo before changing allegiances in 1820 and turning the tide of the war that had broken down into basically a series of local revolts, he subsequently became the emperor of Mexico for a little while until one of Arredondo's lieutenants at the Battle of Medina, yes, that Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, launched an insurrection that eventually overthrew the emperor. Following Day's overthrow, Guadalupe Victoria became the first president of the Mexican Republic in 1824, following the creation of the Federalist Mexican Constitution of 1824. And the Congress of the Mexican Republic passed a national colonization law on August 18, 1824. It became the basis of all colonization deals in Texas, except for Stephen F. Austin's that he had inherited from his father Moses that had been granted by Erdondo. The law surrendered to the states the authority to set up regulations for making unappropriated lands within their limits available for people to come settle. It reserved the right for the national government to stop immigration from certain nations when national security was considered threatened. Later events like the law of April 6, 1830 that we learned about in April in Santa Ana's attempt to centralize power helped fuel the discontent that eventually led to the Texas uprising in the mid-1830s and the establishment of the Second Republic of Texas in 1836. After that same young lieutenant that had fought at the Battle of Medina and had risen to power and was defeated at the Battle of San Jacinto, we'll definitely get to all of those events someday in Texas history lessons. I think that's going to be a good point to stop this episode. 
wow, a lot of San Antonio history today. And a lot to show how significant San Antonio and the area and the people that have lived there has significant how important it's been throughout the history of Texas. And just a few significant dates that we covered, we really got to go over a lot of key events in Texas history. I hope you enjoyed learning it as much as I did. There's so much more to the history of Texas than many of us know, including myself. When the Anglo-American colonists moved into what we've been told was a wilderness, they encountered a land that had been inhabited by indigenous people for thousands of years and had been traversed and was known pretty well by many people of European origin that had been there for a very long time. So we're going to end it. I want to recommend something to you. If you have any photography project needs from real estate photography to help sell a place or you need some aerial videos or footage of a property or event, I want you to consider contacting Panther City Air based out of Fort Worth. With top-notch equipment and expert skill, Panther City Air can fulfill just about anything you need. Now this, I will say, it's not a paid advertisement. I'm promoting this because I think you can get some benefit out of, out of this gentleman's work. Now, the gentleman that runs the business has been kind enough to assist me on a couple of projects. If any of you remember the map of the campfires across the United States that transitioned into a satellite view of North America, well, Panther City Air did that for me. And recently, he helped me out by taking a map of San Antonio, showing what it was like in 1836, and transitioning it into a modern satellite map of the area. It's really great work. So Panther City Air's drone pilot is a TSA background check, part 107 certified, and carries multiple drones, each ensured to meet the challenges of whatever mission you have to send him on. Upon completion of your flight, the data gathered can sometimes be quickly shared in the field or taken to be edited and processed in a timely manner to meet your needs. Now, these drones are commonly used for aerial photography or videography, and there are other solutions, including construction progress documentation, roof or tower inspections, crop health analysis, 3D modeling, and many other things that Panther City Air can provide for you. So go visit panthercityair.com and if you have a project, reach out to them and see if they can help you out. Like I said, this is not a paid advertisement. I've been watching some of the videos that they've done for a long time and just want to support somebody. So thanks for listening, everybody. I want to thank Ron, Jay, Kay, Brenda, Tim, Josh, Johnny, and yeah, another new supporter, Rayma for their support on Patreon. Their generosity on Patreon assists me greatly in bringing these episodes to you. And I have a couple of podcast recommendations. As always, remember to subscribe to the Wild West Extravaganza. Josh continues to do great work. This most recent one on the Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce was amazing. And I'd like to suggest that you give a listen to the History Cafe podcast. In the podcast, the host, David, who I'm pretty sure lives in Texas, focuses on history as storytelling. And in the show, you'll hear about events in world and U.S. history that are research informative and thought provoking. Done a lot of great episodes um, that I've been listening to and I've been sharing them on Twitter. But go check that out. 
And for any Texas music lovers out there like me, be sure to give Chris Rev Waterman's Hymns of the Highway podcast a listen. It's a Texas music podcast dedicated to the songs and stories of your favorite artists like Zach Welch and Austin Upchurch and many others already. So give that new podcast a listen. And I'm not recommending any of this because I'm getting something out of it. But yes, I am. I am getting something out of it. I'm getting the satisfaction of sharing things that I enjoy. I only promote things that I love. Which brings us to my final comment before we wrap this show up. Remember to listen to Texas History Lessons Spotlight Artist Mondo Salas wherever you enjoy great music. I have it on good information that he is hard at work on a new album and he's going over every detail until he is ready to bless your ears with his pretty amazing music so let's end the podcast with his song from his previous album the song is called sing take care of yourself take care of each other be kind until next time 